Anyway, well, it's good to see you guys. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. As you're doing that, I want to remind you about the service tonight. So, this, well, really this afternoon or this evening, I don't know, at 5, whatever that is for you. Um, at 5 o'clock, we'll be back here and uh, we'll have child care available from 0 to 5 years. Uh, but if you want your children in here with you for the service, that is totally fine. All right, they are welcome to, to join you for that. But if you say, no, I, I would get more enjoyment if they were in there, then we've got it available for you, all right? Uh, so, so that we're clear on that. But that'll be from five to six. Uh, it's just a time of singing. It's a time of reflection, scripture reading. Uh, very short, brief message. Yes, I can do that, I promise. And, um, and, and then we, we light candles together and sing to the Lord. And uh, it's just a really fun service. It's a great way to pause remind ourselves about what this season is all about as we head into probably the really busy part of, of your coming week. Amen? So I invite you to come to that, but y'all bring somebody with you. Bring family members, bring friends, bring people who maybe they've been asking about the church and haven't come yet. It's a great service to bring them to. All right? So y'all, y'all send some invites out or at least share it on Facebook and stuff this afternoon. All right, here we go. So We've been walking through Luke 1 and 2 for our Advent series. Uh, Advent, again, is the first four weeks leading up to Christmas. All right, so uh, for these four weeks, we've been looking at the coming or the arrival of Jesus. All right, that's what Advent means, coming uh, or arrival. And so we've been looking at the first coming of Christ while anticipating the second coming, all right? But one of the fun things about the Advent series for me is that we get to look and see all the promises that were fulfilled throughout the Old Testament, that the coming of Christ did not happen on a whim, right? It, it happened on purpose. God ordained it from the beginning of time that it would happen. And so uh, we get to see all of that come together. We, and then we get to remind ourselves that God's going to continue to keep His promises. Amen? He's going to continue to do what He says He's going to do, that He can be trusted. And so we've looked at these different themes throughout or, or gifts that God brings with Christ. Like Christ comes bearing gifts. Number one, He comes bearing salvation, right? And so number two, three, four, uh, maybe they're not ordered in number, but the things that He brings would be uh, hope and faith and joy. And then today, I want to talk about the peace that comes with Jesus also. The peace that is available to us because of Christ Jesus and so let's pray. Father, we love You. We're grateful for Your Word. We ask now that You would open our hearts and minds to see Your Word clearly. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, as we're hearing and reading these things, that if there be any questions or doubt that's in us, Father, help us to, by the power of Your Spirit to overcome those things. We pray that You would meet our needs as we come to your scripture, that you would teach us, that you would inform us. And God, most certainly, I pray that these people hear your voice uh, and not just mine. Lord, let me be a tool for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's just look at the text we looked at last week. Uh, there were two things really happening in the text from last week. We looked at joy last week. This week I want to talk about peace. So let's just read through the text again. Uh, Luke 2, 1 through 14. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, one of the things we've been looking at, I'll just mention this briefly just to kind of, in case you haven't been here, kind of catch you up. Um, there were very real documentable events taking place, right? You have Caesar Augustus, you have Quirinius, the governor of Syria, you have places like Syria mentioned, places like Nazareth and Judea and Bethlehem. All of this is to provide a very real context for the very real birth of the God-man. Amen? It's, it's so that we can look back in history and say, oh yeah, that's when it happened. That right there is when it took place. And so it allows our faith to be strengthened. It gives us hope that God is keeping His promises, that all of these things are fulfillment of prophecy as we've seen over the last few weeks. Anyway, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, uh, sorry, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so if I was going to summarize the, the point of this text or the point of, uh, of the sermon today, this is how I would do it. And if you have your notes, it's just right across the top. So I want you to write these things down so we're kind of on the same page here. God gives his peace to his people, empowering them to live peaceful lives for his glory. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. God is giving his peace to his people so that they are empowered to live peaceful lives for His glory. All right, so the coming of Jesus is the greatest revelation of the glory of God ever seen. John tells us that when Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, we have seen God's glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. That's what we read in John chapter 1. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 1 that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, that He is the exact imprint of His nature. Therefore, what we see here is that the host, which the word host there literally means army, that the army of angels who are praising God are doing so. They're praising Him, saying glory to God in the highest. They're praising the work of God. They're praising what has just happened, that God has sent a Savior to the world. That's the reason for their praise. But it isn't praise for, for any old baby. Like Patricia and I, we've had four kids, bless her heart. And, and as miraculous as childbirth is to see, not one of my children came with an army of angels splitting open the sky and praising God's glory for their arrival, right? It came with much screaming, not much praising. But Jesus did. The birth of Jesus brought heavenly praise because of the peace that He brings to all who receive Him. John Piper says this, he says, These are the great purposes for the coming of Jesus. Glory ever ascending from man to God, 
peace ever ascending from or ever descending from God to man. He says the point of creation and redemption is that God is glorious and he means to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled new humanity. Praise God. Therefore, the main point again today is God gives his, his peace to his people, empowering them to live peaceful lives for his glory. But as the angels make clear, the message of peace is not for everyone. It goes out to everyone, but he says that it's for those with whom he is pleased. In other words, the people who receive Jesus, the ones who trust Christ as their Savior, the ones who see Him as Lord, they experience the peace that He brings. It's for Christians. God's peace is for believers. His peace is for them. And so this is why when Jesus says in John chapter 14, there at the end, He says, my, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace do I give, but it's His peace that He gives to us. Who's He talking to there? His disciples. He's talking to His, his brothers. So Jesus has come to, to bring peace for God's people. When we say peace, though, we're not talking about some sort of like faux peace, right? We're not talking about some ethereal peace that, that, that cannot be fully realized, something that we can't obtain, something that uh, is just for another world. It points us to another world, but it's not only for another world. It's, it's for today. The peace that we're talking about is very real it is life-altering. It is intimate. It gets all up in you, and it's an inner peace that surpasses the world's understanding. It goes far beyond anything that we can know on our own. And maybe you're skeptical. Maybe, maybe you sit there and you think, why? Why do, why do I need this peace? My life isn't so bad. Actually, I'm a pretty good person and things are going pretty well. Well, you and I are, are very skilled. We are very committed to self-deception. We deceive ourselves unlike anyone else deceives us. From the moment of the very first sin in the Garden of Eden, humans have worked to deny what is true about us. That we are all desperately in need of what only God's grace can give us, which is peace with Him. But you and I aren't great at admitting our need. We, we deceive ourselves into believing that we are wiser than we are, than we are that we are stronger than we are, that we are more righteous than we actually are. Paul David Tripp, an author, he, he calls this Advent schizophrenia. He says, Advent schizophrenia is where you celebrate the birth of Jesus while actively denying your need for his birth, for his life, for his death, and for his resurrection. We celebrate it, we clap for it, we sing songs about it, but we don't understand that we're in most need of it. We all need to confess that denying our need for peace is more natural to us than confessing our need for peace. Most of us would say we don't need it, maybe. Maybe you're still not convinced. Here's some, some thoughts that Tripp lays out about ways that we tend to deceive ourselves into believing that we, we don't need the peace that Jesus came to give us. These aren't in your notes, but you can, you can kind of follow along. Number one, he says we all tend to minimize our own sin. One of the ways we deceive ourselves is we'll minimize our own sin. We'll say things like, I'm not really that 
unkind or that mean or, or that rude. That's, that's just my personality. Like people will get to know me and they'll, they'll get over it. Or we'll say, I'm sorry for my bad attitude. You know, the weather's just had me off a little bit lately or I've been sick or I've just been so busy I'm really tired. Or we'll say things like, that's, that wasn't a lie. Okay, maybe it's a white lie, but it wasn't a, a real lie. Like, that's not the kind of lie God was talking about when he said, do not lie. Or we, maybe we'll say, and this is one I've heard guys say for a long time, maybe women do too, I don't know. I don't have an issue with lust. I'm just simply admiring God's creation. It's deception. We are all extremely creative in the ways that we minimize our sin. The second way that he points out that we tend to deceive ourselves is that we all tend to doubt the wisdom of God's law. Like, we'll look at God's law, we'll see what it says, and we'll doubt that there's any wisdom there. It's like, nah, that's not good. This is exactly what the serpent accomplished in the Garden of Eden, if you remember with Adam and Eve, when he comes and he questions, did God really say, is that really good for you? No, it's not good for you. God's just trying to keep you from being like him. And so we'll doubt the legitimacy or the wisdom of God's law. And by doing that, what we're doing is, is we're, we're trying to justify those moments where we step over God's boundaries. Like, this isn't really what God meant when he said, don't do that. The danger is that as we become more comfortable with questioning the wisdom of God's law, the more likely it becomes that we will feel okay breaking those laws. Third thing Tripp points out, he says, we all tend to be more concerned about the wrongs of others than our own sins. Like we'll look at the wrongs of others more than we look at ourselves. You will always deny your need for God's peace when you are more irritated by others than convicted by your own sin. You'll always deny the need for peace. It, it's possible, guys, to be irritated with things in other people that you will regularly excuse in yourself. It's, it's possible to confront people with the things that you overlook in your evaluation of yourself. I think sexual sin is one of the big ones we see today. Christians get up in arms, and I'm not saying it's not right, but we'll get up in arms over homosexuality or transgender or any of these kinds of things, these kinds of issues. They're hot-button issues. But we'll overlook our brother who's committing adultery on his wife or our sister who has a porn addiction or reads novels she ought not be reading. We'll overlook those things, or in ourselves, for sure, we'll overlook those things. Guys, we, we must be careful. Sexual sin is sexual sin. When God mentions sexual sin in the Bible, He uses the same word for all sexual sin. It's the word porneia. It's where we get the word porn from. And it's talking about all sexual sin. But the truth is, we're all sexual sinners in some way, shape, or form. We must be careful with how we look at the sin of others more so than ourselves. And then the fourth observation Tripp makes is that we all tend to deny what's in our own hearts. We tend to deny what's in ourselves. Sin is not just a matter, guys, of wrong decisions. It's a condition of our nature. It's, it's not just that we sin, it's that we are sinners. You see the difference? We, we, when we tell ourselves that we can't handle it, or that we can take care of it, that we, we can fix this, that we'll do better tomorrow. When we say those things or that we deny that we need any kind of help, we're denying that sin is a matter of the heart. We're saying it's just a behavioral thing and I can fix that. 
But the problem is, is that sin is a matter of the heart, and because it is, we cannot escape it on our own. We need a Savior. We need peace from somewhere else outside of us. So, so why don't we begin this Christmas with this confession? That we can never have a very real, life-altering, intimate, and inner peace that surpasses the world's understanding apart from God. Can we all agree to that? It, it, it is only when sin breaks our hearts that the coming of the Messiah will excite our hearts. This peace can never be separated from God or Christ. Listen, if you, if you want peace in your life, then God must rule your life. He must become Lord of your life. You find peace in God when He becomes the most glorious person in your life. So the key is to, to keep His glory and our peace together, as Piper observes. Just as the angels announce it together. And, and we do that by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, I believe that the gift of God's peace will affect at least three relationships in your life. So if you're taking notes, in order for us to live a peaceful life for God's glory, you need, number one, peace with God. You need peace with God. Peace with God is the most foundational, fundamental, essential need that you and I have. We, we don't need peace with God like we need whitey tidies or socks this Christmas. That's not the kind of need we have. We need peace with God more than we need oxygen right now. If we don't start our pursuit of peace at peace with God, then all other pursuits of peace are pathetic. They're momentary and they're fake. The very reason that Jesus condescends from heaven to earth is so that he may ascend to a cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is why Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The, the word there, justified, means that God declares you to be just. That you are now just in his sight. Because he has imputed to you, meaning he assigned to you or he gave to you the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, and he does that by faith. He says we have been justified by faith. It's a spiritual birth. It's a regenerated heart. God takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh as we see in Ezekiel 31. And John 1 says people, uh, that, that people will be believers, that they will receive Jesus by faith because God gives them the right to become children of God. That they're born not of blood, which would be like a birthright, I'm born into it, nor of the will of the flesh, which means not by your works or your traditions or your baptism, or the will of man, which means not by like personal holiness. I can make myself so good that God would choose me. He says that you become a child of God, of God. It's God's work in you. It's a regenerated heart. It's something you and I can never cause. God regenerates the heart. We become spiritually brand new. This is a work of God. This is what we are in desperate need of. Regenerating hearts is God's work. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. This is what we read in Ephesians chapter 2. When we believe in Jesus as the Savior, we most desperately need 
What we're saying is that we want to make Him the Lord and supreme, supreme treasure of our lives. And that in doing that, we become united to Him and His righteousness is counted to us as our own. It's as if you never sinned. It's as if you are blameless or spotless. Not because of you, but because of Christ. His righteousness is covering you now. The glorious truth about Christmas is that the God who created the heavens and the earth splits them open, and He intervenes in the midst of our rebellion, sending His own Son to earth at exactly the right time as a baby in a manger who was ultimately born to die for the sins of God's children so that we might experience peace with God. This is the good news of Christmas. Oh, what a loving Heavenly Father we have. Oh, what a great Savior we have. And the result of that great exchange is total reversal. It's a reversal of the curse of sin over you. God has given us peace with Himself. God saves you from sin and destruction and adopts you as His family. And now all of His action towards you as His child are good. That's hard for us to believe, that God's actions towards us as His children are good. That God is not against you, and God will never be against you. He is your heavenly Father, and He is your friend. We have peace. God gives His peace to His people, empowering them to live peaceful lives for His glory. Peace with God is essential to all other peace. Matthew Henry comments on this text. He said, if God is at peace with us, then all peace results from it. So, first and foremost, the foundational peace is peace with God. But second, once we've received peace with God, there can be peace with yourself. Peace within yourself. Earlier I mentioned an inner peace, an intimate peace, one that you can know. And by that I, I meant a peace that can be felt at the deepest levels of who we are, deep into our hearts, deep into our minds. Once you see that you have peace with God because He has justified you by faith in Jesus, then you begin to grow in this enjoyment of peace with yourself. Things like guilt and shame and worry no longer paralyze you. Or make you hopeless. Probably the very best scripture for this kind of inner peace is Philippians 4, 6-7. through 7. Many of you know it well. Maybe it hangs in your house somewhere. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the great promise of verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the opposite of anxiety is peace. Therefore, God tells us that if we want peace in the middle of our anxieties, then we are to bring those anxieties to God through prayer, casting our anxieties on the one who gives peace that surpasses all understanding. And that peace is real because God will guard our hearts and minds. God is at work. This, this verse has really a wartime meaning. Right? It's our hearts and minds are constantly under attack. I talked to you earlier just about some of the worry we may face, some of the, the stress we may feel just around the holiday, but not to mention 
all the rest of life, your jobs, your employers, your, your, your co-workers, your family, your children, your parents, your friends. Maybe the holidays are a brutal reminder of the, of the brutality of life. We all have a sense of worry, a sense of doubt, of stress, concern. We're all under attack in these ways. Guilt, worry, stress, doubts, fears, shame, confusion, threats, they're hurled at us like boulders from a catapult. And without the peace of God to sustain us, we're like a castle without walls. But our God is a mighty fortress. Our God says that He is a strong tower. He says that He is a refuge, that the righteous can run into Him and they are saved. God wants to guard your hearts. He wants to guard your minds. He wants to give you His peace. Not a faux peace, but a very real, life-altering, intimate, and inner peace that surpasses this world's understanding. That's what God desires to do for us. We'll trust Him. But God does this through prayer. Listen, prayer is not a tool for Christians to strong-arm God into doing their bidding. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is a tool that God uses to transform our lives to better do His bidding. When we take our shame, our guilt, our anxieties, our doubts, our fears to God in prayer, God carries them for us. He protects us from them. And we get an indestructible inner peace. A mighty fortress is our God around us. But NLCC, let us not forget that it is God who provides this peace, not ourselves. When we go to Him in prayer, we go remembering that we already have peace with Him. And therefore, because we already have peace with God, we can trust Him as our loving and almighty Heavenly Father to be ready to help us. That He's already shown the greatest act of peace-giving that, that, that could ever be shown in sending Jesus Christ to save us. And that if you, you do believe in Jesus, you have faith in Christ, you're at peace with God, then you can come to God now in prayer knowing that that same arm which extends Christ to you in your, in, for salvation is in extending peace, a real wartime peace for you right now. To guard you. To protect your hearts and minds and your souls from all anxieties and worries. From all doubts and fears. God is with you. He shows that He is with us by sending His Son, by coming in the form of a babe. God has already come to dwell among us. Jesus was the exact imprint of God's nature. He is God in the flesh. But Jesus, even Jesus Christ, who could have just lived forever, He could have established a kingdom, we could have all lived in it happily. Even Jesus said, it's good that I go away because I go to prepare a place for you. But if I go, I'm also going to send you a helper. Praise God. You and I are not without God. We have the helper inside of us in the Holy Spirit. If your heart has been regenerated, you've been made alive by the Holy Spirit. You have received a spirit baptism. The old man has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You live as a new creation in this world. You can trust God in ways that no one else can. You don't have to doubt Him. You don't have to wonder if He's good or not. You can trust God. And the Spirit bears witness to this in us. 
The Spirit teaches us these things. The Spirit becomes the guard for our heart and our minds as we bring our worries and our concerns and we cast those things upon the Lord. The Spirit works in us to guard and protect us. Praise God that we can have inner peace. We can trust God. But we have to keep going. We have to keep going to the Lord in prayer. We have to keep trusting Him that His peace will come to us, that He will guard our hearts and our minds from the paralyzing effects of anxiety and guilt and fear and doubts. We cannot stop. Because what happens is, is as we continue to go, we continue to grow in strength. Now, it may not happen as fast as you would like. But it will happen. It's a promise from God that His peace will guard you. And when His peace strengthens us, then we are ready to do His bidding. Then we are ready to carry on the mission that He has given us. And when He is the one who strengthens us for our walk, then He gets all the glory for it. Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, preaching. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The whole point of anything good that you and I do is to bring glory to God. We cannot separate God's glory and our peace. God gives His peace to His people, empowering them to live peaceful lives for His glory. It can't be separated. The third thing we see is that we can have peace with others. Peace with God can produce peace with others. But, but this is the one that we have the least amount of say-so in. That's why Paul in Romans 12, 18, he says, if possible, if possible, so far, in case we didn't know what if possible means, he says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There are many of you, I'm sure, who have strained relationships with people. We, have, we, we constantly hurt others and are hurt by others. From, from childhood on up into adulthood. Many of the pain, pains we feel today are probably from hurts in our childhood. Many of the pains we feel today are hurts from just yesterday. Maybe this Christmas season reminds you of those broken relationships. But, but again, I'm not talking about some superficial, broken kind of relationship or messed up kind of relationship like the crazy uncle at Christmas, you know, the one that's just kind of hard to be around. You're like, no, my family doesn't have that. You need to look in the mirror because you might be that, all right? <laughs> Ask yourself honestly, am I the crazy uncle in my family, okay? But if you see that crazy uncle in your family, you're good, all right? You're, there's never two. There's only one, so. But maybe this season reminds you of, of the brokenness in relationships that you know. When we're talking about peace with others, when God instructs us in His Word to live peaceably with all, so far as it depends on you, we are talking about peace in the midst of great pain, in the midst of great hurt and turmoil and strife and heartache. Now, it's probably true that for some of you, you know exactly what to do in that relationship. Like You're, you're aware enough of God's Word. You know what it takes. It's just really hard, and you haven't worked up the courage to do it yet. But for others of, of you, maybe you're at a loss for what the next, next step should be. 
Maybe you don't have any clue where you should go from here. The key for both, whether you know the next step or not, the key for both of us is to trust God with a heartfelt awareness of how God forgave you through Jesus Christ. The most helpful text in the whole Bible on dwelling peaceably with other people, it's the one I use in counseling so often, is Ephesians 4.31-32. Paul writes there to the believers at Ephesus, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Look at me. Don't, don't miss this. The very best way to live peaceably with others, so far as it depends on you, is to constantly remind yourself until you are amazed by it that in spite of all your sins, your past sins, your present sins, the ones you don't even know you're going to commit yet, in spite of all those, God has forgiven you through Jesus Christ. And, and when you are amazed that you and I as sinners have peace with God, when you're amazed by that, that God would even save you as someone who has sinned so greatly against Him, so frequently against Him, made so many promises to God to never sin again, and broke all of those promises. When you see that God in Christ still forgives you, even though that's you, and you're amazed by that. Your heart becomes tender. Your disposition is towards kindness. And you become a forgiver. You find it easy and joyful to extend forgiveness to others. Therefore, the, there's no easy way to get there. The, the, there's no easy way to any good spiritual discipline to, to any healthy Christian way of living. It's not easy. It's costly. It's very costly. This is why it's so worth it. And it takes time to get to a place like that. You have to stare intently and think deeply on what God has done for you until you are bewildered to the point of amazement where you're dumbfounded by the fact that God would save you. It's in that place that you learn to extend grace and peace to others. But what happens when it's not received by others? What happens when that person would rather be at odds than at peace? We look at the cross. We, we stare at the cross of Christ and we see Jesus there. And as he's hanging there, he hollers out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. We follow his example. We follow his example by not becoming bitter. We are not to become angry. Rather, we are to become more kind, more tenderhearted, more merciful, and more forgiving. I think that in order for us to do that, we must keep being more and more amazed by the cross of Christ Jesus. Amazed that He has saved us from sin. Amazed that He has given us peace in Himself. Your soul is at peace in Jesus Christ. Let that 
be the source of your peacemaking. Let that be the source of how you keep peace as much as it depends on you with others. That you trust God and you know that God knows exactly what He is doing. And we trust Him there. And remember, God gives His peace to His people, empowering them to live peaceful lives for His glory. Amen? So glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Would you stand to your feet this morning?